The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning again, church. Go ahead and take a seat if you would. And while you're doing so, grab a Bible, open up to Psalm 18 once again. And the question may be out there, are we going through the whole psalm? The answer is yes. Yes. It's a 26-point sermon this morning. (laughs) Just joking. But we will be covering the psalm in its entirety. And so before we do, let's bow and ask God's blessing on this time together. And Father, we are grateful for your word. Your word is a treasure to us. It lights our path. It directs our way. It brings clarity into confusion. It brings truth where there are lies and deception. We depend upon your word. And this morning, Lord, as we look at this wonderful psalm that David penned, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged and lifted in praise to you as we see the great work that you did in David's life and the great work that you have done and are still doing in our lives. Send your Holy Spirit to illuminate our thinking, our minds, to draw us nearer to you in this time, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. So Psalm 18, and even as, as Seth read this morning that introduction, even before verse 1, we read of the occasion for this psalm. Now, it's important to understand that as we work through the book of Psalms, the Psalms are not chronological. Understand that. They're not chronological as following David's life. So we get to Psalm 18, and Psalm 18 was written near the end of David's life. In fact, if you were to look back at 2 Samuel chapter 22, you would read this psalm, nearly word for word, very few differences between 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18. And this is near the end of David's life. That's important as we work through this psalm, and we'll point some of that out later. But David, throughout his life, you'll remember, had fought many battles. Think of even as a young boy, 
when he went against Goliath, and even at that point, he had referenced back to lions that he had delivered sheep out of their mouths. He had fought many battles. He went up against Goliath. He fled from the hand of Saul time and time again. He had battles within his own family. His wife, Michael, mocked him as he worshiped the Lord. There was some spiritual warfare taking place there. He fought against all sorts of other nations. And God had given him victory. This is a psalm which looks back at those victories and gives praise to God, celebrating what God had done for him, the victories that God had granted to him. And so it is a psalm that testifies to God's deliverance. And it's a psalm of praise. And I hope that as as we look at this this morning and as we work through it together, that our hearts also will be lifted up in praise to God. Now, David begins verse one, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I love you, O Lord, my strength. These words of of affection just pour out from David. These first three verses really are beginning this psalm with giving praise for who God is. He professes his love, his affection for God, and he professes his dependence on God. Look at verse 2. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation that I can grab onto and be saved, my stronghold. Each one of these attributes of God, how God had presented himself to David, for David are worthy of praise. This isn't David just rambling on and and putting down these titles. They're meaningful. These are things that David could reflect back on even in his own life. Yes, there was the time. I remember God served as my fortress. When my enemies were in pursuit of me, my life was near lost, but God saved me. He kept me secure as a fortress. Or the time when I was in Philistine, in the, in the land of the Philistines, and God, he delivered me. He is my deliverer, my refuge, my shield, David is giving praise to God for all of these ways that God has worked in his life, for all of these ways that David has has seen the hand of God at work in his life. 
And he says in verse three, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. David knew a thing or two about enemies. From inside of his own family to within his nation, foreign kings that fought against him, even his own children rose up against him. David even knew that he could be his own worst enemy. You read Psalm 51 and you hear the recounting of David and Bathsheba. Many enemies. But David says, I call upon the Lord. I pray. God is worthy to be praised. I call upon him and I am saved from my enemies. Now, for the Christian, we know a thing or two about enemies as well, or we should. Living the the Christian life, we come against opposition. They're typically put into three categories, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are constantly under attack. From one of these fronts, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And sometimes these three even conspire against us and work against us at the same time. They are opposed to us. They are working to bring us down to ruin. Can you think of a time even recently in your own life where you've been confronted by one of these enemies, the world, the flesh, or the devil? Do you see temptations and opportunities out in the world that would draw you away from God? Those are enemies, enemies of your soul that would like to bring you down. Maybe it's not even something out there that you see something separate from you. Maybe it's just within your own mind trying to lead you down paths that you know this is not right. But I'm still drawn there in my mind. Or to believe things that you know are not true, but those thoughts still linger. Have bodily appetites cried for attention and demanded to be satisfied in ways that are opposed to God, this battle against the flesh? Or believer, have you seen the devil at work in your life, noticed his sly ways, his cunning work, even as he came and deceived Eve in the garden? So that she took of the fruit and she ate. So too he is still at work trying to deceive you into buying into something that is false, something that is a lie. We're bombarded with enemies, attacks, the world, the flesh, and the devil 
They are all real. They are all very present enemies for us. And that brings us to our next observation in the psalm this morning, that we need a deliverer. We need a deliverer. And that's where David was at. He knew he had real enemies. And so he was calling out to the Lord. We need a deliverer. Look at verses four and five. This is David's assessment of his place, of his condition. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. These word pictures that David gives us that help us understand something of what he was experiencing, where he was at. And think of yourself and your enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, as you consider David's struggles, ropes of death wrapping around him, squeezing life from him. The cords of death encompassed me, he says. Torrents of destruction assailed me. These waves, these torrential waves crashing up against him, just beating him again and again. Have you experienced something like that where you think, ah, I survived that attack only then to be attacked again? And you think, when is this going to end? These torrential waves of destruction. That's what David experienced as well. The cords of Sheol, he says, the cords of Sheol entangled me. These ropes of the grave, we could say, were getting his feet all caught up. And then everywhere he looked, the snares of death confronted me. Seeing these traps, these snares that were set, waiting to snatch him. Everywhere, they confronted me. I look this way, and there are snares. And I look this way, and there are snares. And I look the other way, and it seems like there's nowhere that I can go. It makes me think of, of the children of Israel as they were being brought out of Egypt, right? And God brings them out of Egypt with the Passover, and he brings them where? To the Red Sea. And they look, and they, they look across the sea, we can't go across this, and there are mountains. We can't climb over the mountains, and they look in the other direction. And it's the army of Egypt pursuing them. Where can we go? The snares of death confronted me. David realized that he was in a desperate place. He realized his great need. He needed a deliverer. So verse six, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. Even as Seth was sharing in the call to worship this morning, recognizing that there are times and seasons of life where we are just being beaten, where we are feeling brought so low, 
In my distress, David says, at this point, in this place, what do I do? I call upon the Lord. Understand that this distress is a providential distress. This is something that that we hit on, I think, regularly here at Pillar Bible Fellowship. That suffering, that difficulty, that distress sometimes comes by the hand of providence. This is a providential distress to recognize this. They are used by God to form character in us and also used by God to draw us to him. These distresses, these difficulties, these troubles that we go through, we all have them. Each one of us could raise our hand and give testimony to some type of distress or difficulty in our life right now. But in that, we should also see the hand of God at work. Have they caused you to pray more? They should. To make you depend less on yourself and more on God? You see, our our tendency is, I want to get out of this distress as quickly as possible. God says, it's there to cause you to lean into me, to learn to depend on me, to trust in me. David says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. This is a providential distress, and it leads into a powerful prayer. A providential distress brings David in to a powerful prayer, and that is here in verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. That is prayer. To my God, I cried for help. That's what we have of David's prayer. He doesn't record it for us. And and I'm led to believe that it wasn't an eloquent prayer. It maybe wasn't even a long prayer. That's not what God is concerned about. Eloquence, duration, but it is faithful and it is a sincere plea. Coming to God, asking in faith. One of my mentors in the faith said the most effective prayer he thinks he has ever prayed in his life. He was pedaling his bike from Medford out to Roosh, Oregon, along the highway, and he just rode his bike into the ditch and went, ugh. He says, that was one of my best prayers, one of the most effective prayers in my life. Everything that was in his heart and on his mind in that moment was expressed to God in just a, ah, it was a genuine prayer to God. And God met him there and answered that prayer. And so David, in this distress, in this place, surrounded by enemies, he prays and he asks in faith. And it is effective 
from his temple. We read in verse 6, God heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Brother, sister, do you know that when you pray, God listens? That you have an audience with the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God of the universe, the maker and creator of all things? It's true. It's a privilege that we have. And they don't have to be long prayers. Think about Nehemiah. Remember when he was standing before the king? And all that we read there is, I prayed to the Lord. I prayed to the God of heaven. Like this short arrow prayer, just firing one off. God help me. And it was effective. We have this privilege of prayer And so David realizes his need for a deliverer. He prays to the Lord. And now we see this awesome display of God's power. So we see the need for a deliverer. And in verses 7 through 15, we see this awesome display of the deliverer's power. The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations Also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. This is a picture of this mighty deliverer rising up. If you think back to Exodus 19, where Moses was going up in the mountain to meet with God, and Mount Sinai is just filled with clouds and thunder and lightning, and no one could even come close to the mountain there. This awesome display of God's power. It makes me think forward to Revelation 4 and the thunder and the lightning that is coming from the throne of God. David prays and God responds. Verse 8, smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Verse 12, out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. The Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. The channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. This is a powerful God. This is God rising up and coming down for David. For little David, for David who prayed this prayer of distress, crying to the Lord for help, Lord, help me. 
And that prayer reached up into the temple in heaven. He heard David's voice. His cry reached his ears, and God responds. An awesome display of God's power. This is a God who can do what he will, whatever he wants. This is a God that has no limits. This is a God who will not be opposed. This is a God who who can put down any army, any enemy that would rise up against him and against David. This is an awesome God. This is a powerful God. And as he rises up, verse 7 says that God was angry. The mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Not angry with David, not irritated that David needed deliverance again. No, God is angry with David's enemies as they oppose him. Ultimately, these enemies opposing David were trying to thwart God's plans. God is angry with sin. God is angry with the work of these enemies, but he is so gentle with David. And there's this tender display toward David, which we see beginning in verse 16. This mighty God rises up, thunder and lightning. And verse 16, he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but... The Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. This tender display toward David. You get this picture of God that he's maybe flexing his muscles as he rises up, as this prayer from David reaches his ears. And he is ready to act and he is ready to pounce on the enemies. And he reaches out and tenderly brings David out of many waters. He's drowning. He's, these torrential waves of destruction just keep pounding on him. And God grabs him and draws him out. He rescued me, verse 19, David says, because he delighted in me. He powerfully delivered him and he dealt with him in a very tender way. And this, verse 19, I think is so important for us to understand because as we continue to work through this psalm as well, it shows that what follows the further explanation of, of God's mighty deliverance of David. It stems from God's initial doing. It stems from God's delight in David. He did all of this. Why? Because he delighted in me. Because he delighted in me. 
Now, as we continue to work through, we see this grace of God that is shown to David. This grace of God that is shown to David. The grace of the deliverer. The grace of the deliverer, first of all, as he gives strength for the battle. And we see that in verses 20 through 36. The grace of the deliverer in giving strength for the battle. In verses 20 through 24, David knows God has dealt with me according to our covenant relationship. Look at this, verse 20. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not wickedly departed from my God. All his rules were before me. His statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Maybe you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're saying this was written toward the end of David's life? What about... What about David and and Bathsheba? How can David say that he dealt with me according to my righteousness, the cleanness of my hands? According to their covenant relationship, David didn't have any illusions about being perfect, about being sinless, but David did know that before God, I am righteous And I am clean. He disobeyed, yes, horribly so. But he repented and he pursued the Lord. And overall, David's life was one lived in faithful devotion to the Lord. Not in perfection, mind you, not sinlessness but one that even when he failed, even when he stumbled, even when he blew it, he responded. Do you remember Nathan came to him, to David, and confronted David with his sin? And David repented. That's what Psalm 51 is about, is David's repentance. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. He returned back to the Lord. He returned to pursue the Lord. And David knew that this blamelessness, it's not me. Even if you look down to verse 32 of this psalm, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. David was dependent upon the Lord. It is God who has done this. He has made my way blameless. It is a gracious gift from God. Verse 23, he says, I was blameless before him. Well, Yes, verse 32, it is God who has made my way blameless. God 
was showing grace toward David. In verse 17, we read that he was too weak even to fight against his enemy. But verse 29, David says, For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. God in his grace gave David his word to direct him and to guide him. Verse 22, his rules were before me. His statutes I did not put away from me. God's word. Verse 30, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Verses 32 through 36 particularly are filled with what God did. The God who equipped me with strength, made my way blameless, made my feet like the feet of a deer, set me secure on the, heart, on the heights. All the way through verse 36 show God's grace. And particularly verse 35, your gentleness made me great. Your gentleness made me great. This mighty God with thunder and lightning who opens up the channels of the sea, who who reveals the foundations of the world at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils, thundering from the heavens, hailstones and coals of fire, this awesome God who rises up on behalf of David. And David says, your gentleness made me great. Was it an awesome display or was it gentleness? I think it was both. I think it was both. In fact, I I think that From David's vantage point, this awesome display was displayed in great gentleness toward him. What do I mean? Well, Natalie and I, last Friday, Saturday, a week ago, we traveled down to Grants Pass and we stayed Friday night in the home of some friends down there. And as we were shown around their home, we stopped and and we chatted for some time at the top of a flight of stairs where the man began sharing his testimony of God's work in his life, God's work of deliverance in his life. And he shared with us, essentially, alcohol was his God, that every day, alcohol, he worked up on scaffolding, so during the work day, he said he, he was smart enough to not drink, but as soon as he was off of work, he would begin drinking beer. And weekends, the beer drinking started as soon as the sun was coming up. And that was his God. That's what he lived for. That's what he was known for. That's what everybody knew about him. And he was in bondage, and he knew it, and he hated it. And he went to church to see if God could deliver him. And he walked in on a Sunday morning, and he was waiting for lightning, 
lightning. Like we read in verses 7 through 15, I'm expecting God to show up in this way. Hailstones, coals of fire. Come on, God, deliver me. And he says he went through the service and nothing happened. There was no miracle. He was disappointed. But he said he took that also since there was no lightning, nothing miraculous. It must be God saying, go ahead and continue on. And so he thought, I will. I'll just continue living that way. It must be okay with God because I gave him the chance to deliver me and nothing happened. No lightning, he said. And he woke up the next morning and he realized, you know, I forgot to get drunk yesterday. And that's the way it's been since that day. Where every day it was when I'm getting drunk, when can I get the beer in my hand? When can I get drunk? And he was waiting for the lightning to deliver him. He was looking for verses 7 through 15, this awesome display of God's power. And this awesome display of God's power came to him in gentleness. Your gentleness, David says, made me great. My friend didn't see the awesome display of the earth reeling and rocking or smoke from God's nostrils and the bowing down of the heavens. But I have no doubt that all of those were on display against the enemies of my friend, against the spiritual forces that were keeping him in bondage. But what he saw And his experience of God's work was gentleness. And it was grace. It was God's grace in his life that gave him, first of all, that strength. He recognized, I forgot to get drunk yesterday. And day after day, since that day, that has been the case. Not forgetting, but making a deliberate effort. I will not do this, and I'm not going back to that. God has given him strength, and God has given him victory. The grace of the deliverer in giving strength for the battle and also giving victory over the enemy, and that's what we see in verses 37 through 45. David says, I had victory over my enemy by the grace of God, by the grace of my deliverer. I pursued, verse 37, I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and I did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, and on and on he goes. You equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who hated me, I destroyed. Where David earlier had said, I can't do that. Verse 17, they were too mighty for me. My enemies, I I can't beat them. I can't have any victory over them. But here in God's grace, 
David sees this strength and the victory. And and I hope for you, believer, I hope that this gives you encouragement in your battle against the world, against your flesh, against the devil. Do you get discouraged? Do Do you feel at times like victory? It's impossible. It's unattainable. I'll never get there. I'll never realize victory. David beat enemies stronger. David beat enemies with armor. David beat kings that were more cunning. How? It was by God's equipping and strength. You equipped me with strength for the battle. Verse 39. He recognizes this victory that God has walked him through and granted to him by grace. And David returns then to giving praise to his God. Verse 46, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. He's giving praise to God, recognizing God's grace in delivering him. Have you recognized God's grace at work in your life? Have you stopped to consider where God has shown grace to you in delivering you? Has there been any victory over the world, over the flesh, over the devil? Now understand Your battles will not end on this side of eternity. But have you witnessed the grace of God at work in your life? For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name, David says in verse 49. I will give praise to you. I will sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Have you seen how even Jesus, who is the greater than David, came and conquered sin and Satan and death? Do you understand your place of victory? That even like we studied in the book of Ephesians where Paul says that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How? In Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's ultimately what this psalm is pointing us to, what it is talking about, not just finishing at David's victory, but ultimately Christ's victory. Paul even quotes this psalm in reference to Jesus as he's writing to the Romans. 
For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name, that God would save both Jews and Gentiles. Christ's victory. We praise God like David for our deliverances. We praise God for his deliverer, Jesus through whom we have these victories and through whom we can come and make petition to our God through Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And God hears our prayers and God responds to our prayers. He answers our prayers and he comes to our aid. He has delivered us from sin, from Satan, and from death, and he will continue to deliver us in this life from the world, from our flesh, and from the devil. And these are testimonies, church, that are worth sharing. Even as David reflected back on the enemies that were conquered in his life, and he's giving testimony to God's work, giving praise to God so that we too can read this and we can praise God along with David. Encourage you, church, give testimony to God's deliverances in your life so that we can come alongside and praise God together that this would be for the fame of our deliverer, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And Father, we do thank you for your work in our lives to save us. You have saved us from the penalty and the power of sin. Trusting in you, we are no longer enslaved to sin. We no longer have to do what sin demands of us. We are freed from that. And we are free to serve you and to worship you. We are free to be servants to you and to give our lives for you. We thank you for Jesus and for the deliverance from sin and that we no longer belong to our enemy, Satan, but we are children of the King. We are children of a gracious God who has adopted us and brought us into his family, given us a wonderful inheritance and blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And we thank you that we have victory over death. We don't fear the grave. We know that our last breath here, that we will wake up in eternity that we will wake up in your presence, that we will live forever worshiping you, delighting in you, in your joy, in your light. And we look forward to that, Lord God. We continue to fight and we continue to battle and we continue to be confronted by enemies in this life, Lord God. And for that, we come to you and we cry for help. We know that we have victory over sin and Satan and death, 
And we know that you continue to carry us along in victory over the world and the flesh and the devil. But Lord God, we struggle. We are weak and we confess that. We need your help. Would you, like you did for David, rise up and deliver us and give us victory over our enemies? Not that we would be praised and exalted, but so that your name would be lifted up and magnified. That people would see what takes place in our lives and give glory to our Father in heaven who works those gracious works of deliverance. Lord, where we are struggling with sin in our lives, Lord, I pray that we would confess that to you. Even if it just begins there with a confession and a desire to turn away, Lord, I'm struggling with this sin. I am drawn to it again and again, and I don't want it, but I still continue to find myself in it. Lord, help me. I know that you will hear, and I know that you will answer that prayer. Lord, grant victory. Grant victory. May we be open with you about our sin. May we be open with brothers and sisters about our struggles and our sin, confessing sin to one another, that we can pray for one another. And so that, Lord God, as we see you at work and as you do bring us along in victory, that we could give praise to you. Would you do this, Lord God? Would you do this in our midst? Would you do this in our church? Would you do this in our community, this place that we live? God, grant victory. For the praise of your glorious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.